Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting Presents Video Nasty Andy. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Uh, thanks again for joining me on our dive into the world of the video nasties. I hope you had a chance to listen to last month's dive into A Clockwork Orange. I recently got to watch the 4K upscaled DVD version again recently. It is such a work of art. If you've got any Christmas monies left over, it is a tremendous movie and I think it would be worth the investment. Aggie Wax. I would like to smash them. So last month we discussed the what I think was the starting pistol to heavier censorship within UK film. And like all good stories, there needs to be a villain. And this story is no different, really. So this month, I thought we'd look at the villain of the piece, Miss Mary Whitehouse. So every Batman needs his Joker. And in this case, the Joker was a Nuneaton-born, Chester Grammar School-educated, grey-haired, middle-aged, middle-class mother and wife, annoyingly based in Wolverhampton. Really does get on my nerves that she was from round these parts. So Whitehouse's activism began in 1963 when she was battling against the BBC. She felt there was too much sex on TV, saying she believed that Hugh Green, who was the then Director General of the BBC, was quote-unquote the devil incarnate, and he deemed her ideas as just standing in the way of progress. The genesis of Whitehouse's anger at the BBC was seemingly because the channel were not condemning premarital sex. It appears that, in her mind at least, that the BBC would have been better served by demonising premarital sex or even teaching abstinence rather than giving actual sexual education. want the young not to be pressurised and not to be exploited in this field so that they can grow up to develop their own sexuality, to discover for themselves what sex as part of the whole business of living is all about, that we do what we do. Whitehouse created her National Viewers and Listeners Association after realising that the acronym for her original group, Clean Up National Television, may not have helped her cause. After the NVALA was formed, they took on many battles against the BBC, often citing breaches of blasphemy or public decency laws. They were angered that Alf Garnett said bloody 120 times in a 30-minute show, how far we've come. They ignored the flat-out racism in that show, but apparently bloody was the line. They also got PC over Panorama, showing the Richard Dimbleby piece on the liberation of Belson concentration camp. She claimed that this report was filth, bound to shock and offend. Again, ignoring the very real impact of that concentration camp on the entire world. And she particularly hated the show that she claimed was tea time brutality for tots. Doctor Who. Look, I'm angry, that's new. The MVALA's battles weren't confined to the small screen, though. My Dingling, the, the song that is not a nickname for my penis, and I Am the Walrus, again a song not a nickname for my penis. They were two songs which she unsuccessfully petitioned the BBC to ban. The latter being egregious because of the lyrics. Crabalocker, fishwife, pornographic priestess, boy you've been a naughty girl, you've let your knickers down. A nonsensical line that means absolutely nothing, but God forbid you actually think about a pair of panties. She successfully got schools out removed from Top of the Pops though, 
And legend has it that Alice Cooper sent Whitehouse some flowers to say thank you for creating the controversy, thus helping him reach number one. It does appear that Whitehouse wasn't against everything on top of the pops though. Whitehouse and the NVALA even presented an award to one of its hosts. They claimed that this host was wholesome family entertainment. Do you want to guess which hosts she thought that of? Answers on a postcard? Actually don't. I don't want postcards just saying Jimmy Savile because that is a little bit strange. I have an enormous respect for people. Away from the Beeb, the NVALA attempted to prosecute Michael Bogdanov for putting on the play The Romans in Britain, a play which has a scene of anal rape. Needless to say, she hadn't even seen the play but had decided that it was an instrument of Satan. After befriending another person whose death made the world a better place, Margaret Thatcher, Whitehouse is believed to have played a role in the passage of laws uh, specifically the Protection of Children's Act 1978, the Indecent Displays Control Act of 1981. This concerned sex shops apparently. Um, it will be why your nearest and favourite adults goods emporium will have blacked out windows. They're not allowed to actually show the contents of the shop. Uh, this woman is obsessed with sex to the point that it's actually quite strange. And the other piece of legislature, which is where our favourite pastime comes in, that will be the Video Recordings Act of 1984. The Video Recordings Act was brought in following the home video system revolution of the late 70s. The VHS was in most folks' homes by this point, and there wasn't any legislation to regulate the contents of videos. Uh, apart from the Obscene Publications Act from 1959, which obviously doesn't really move with the times, um, that was mostly covering pornographic film though. So with homes now able to watch anything and everything they desire, there was a rise in low budget exploitation films being distributed without having to pass through any form of regulation. And this is what created the moral panic amongst White House and her ilk. Uh, this is where the term video nasty came from. The Obscene Publications Act defined obscenity as that which may tend to deprave and corrupt persons who are likely, having regard to all relevant circumstances, to read, see or hear the matter contained or embodied in it. Nice and vague there then. This meant that what was obscene was basically decided by the Director of Public Prosecutions and the police. The police had power to seize videos from retailers if they believed that a film may breach the act and it was down to individual police chiefs to decide which films were taken. And sometimes this seemed to be quite at random. Not to say that they were fucking idiots, but they did famously take the Dolly Parton musical The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas as worthy of seizing. I had to do something to overcome all those long-legged women I'm having to work with around here. Obviously retailers at this point were fearing being randomly seized of their goods. They wanted some sort of guidance on what they could stock without fear of being raided. The Director of Public Prosecutions recognised that the current system was far too vague and open to interpretation. At the same time as all this going on, Driller Killer finally hit our shores, followed by Cannibal Holocaust. The public and most importantly the bastions of morals, the NBALA got wind of these films 
and everyone's favourite Nazi-supporting newspaper, the Daily Mail, began a campaign to ban this filth, stating that these films turned children into violent criminals, because apparently the kids' parents bear no responsibility on what they see. All of these forces combined to get the Tory MP, Graham Bright, to introduce the Video Recordings Act. This act meant that all films needed to pass through a regulatory body, regardless of whether they were headed for cinema or straight to video. All films had to be resubmitted for classification, or it was a criminal offence. So The Exorcist, for example, they forgot to resubmit it for classification, so it was pulled from shelves. And then on resubmission, though, Straw Dogs was denied classification for video, even though it was released for cinema in 1971, effectively banning both of those films for public consumption. The BBFC seemed to be proud of having the strictest guidelines on video violence. Personally, I'm ashamed this country felt it needed to police people's arts to that level. Thankfully, around the year 2000, the BBFC Secretary General, James Furman, left and there was public consultancy where guidelines seemed to finally relax. Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist were now passed for certification, as well as some films off the Video Nasties list were finally given the green light. So the Video Nasties list itself, uh, this list was publicised in 1983, a great year, but not for horror, obviously. These were films where the Director of Public Prosecutions deemed them to be obscene. 72 films in total, 39 of which were successfully prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act. Some of these films were cut and then released by the BBFC later on. 33 of the films though were either unsuccessfully prosecuted or just never made it to court. Most of that 72 film list have now actually been released and the majority of which uncut. However, as we discussed in the last episode, there are many other films which are associated with the Video Nasties list, but not actually on the list itself. So A Clockwork Orange, Child's Play 3, the aforementioned Straw Dogs and The Exorcist. Don't worry though, we will get to them at some point down the line. Wrong again, wimp. I got some fresh meat lined up and I'm not going to let you spoil it, not this time. So did Mary Whitehouse have a point in all of this? Was she right to battle against the permissive society? Is the trend towards liberalism a bad thing? Like some may say so. And in recent years we've had the shitstorm created when BBC Two showed Stuart Lee's Jerry Springer the musical. Some tried to cancel Frankie Boyle's joke on Mock the Week about how Elizabeth Sachs Coburg had a haunted pussy. I've had a few medical problems this year. I'm now so old that my pussy is haunted. X Factor came under fire in 2015 because there was apparently a very sexy dance routine that upset parents. I mean, never mind the fact that it was a post-Watershed performance, but that's by the by. And of course, there was the storm in a teacup over Russell Brand and Jonathan Ross at the centre of the Manuel from Faulty Fucking Towers. I mean, everyone loved the racist stereotype. That was great. So even after putting out a warning beforehand, broadcasting a joke about sex with a member of his family is tantamount to bombing Parliament. Clearly, Brandon Ross deserved to be lynched over that one, didn't they? 
Weirdly, all of these controversies were complained about either before the showing or months and months after the fact, because the Daily Mail told people to be offended. Small-minded pettiness really fits the UK like a well-worn t-shirt, doesn't it? And let's be brutally honest, these are the same questions who think that national service should still be a thing. Going back to the aforementioned Joe Springer the Musical, for example, it received 16,000 complaints before it was even aired because it depicted Christ wearing a nappy. It didn't, but let's not let the fact stop your fascist belief from forcing deluded opinions on others. Also, they complained that it contained around 200 F-words and 9 C-words. What a bunch of C-words. Honestly, it's not a black and white argument. It's not good and bad. It's shades of grey. But nuance isn't something which news outlets or social media deals with in any sensible fashion. But that's another podcast for another day. So what's Mary Whitehouse's legacy? I mean, she's the type of person who would completely ignore the deeper meaning and just complain about the facile, about what's going on on the surface. It reminds me of an ex's father. Um, he was all pissy and upset with me once because I'd retweeted an account called Cunt of the Day. They were stating that actions taken by a certain politician to cut benefits to disabled people made him their, quote-unquote, cunt of the day. And the ex's father was so offended that he saw the word cunt that he gave me the silent treatment. He was a grown fucking adult, for crying out loud. To which I just responded, I'm more offended by people cutting disability benefits than I am four-letter words. But that's the type of person Mary Whitehouse would be appealing to. Those who are offended at headlines but won't read any further because it's too difficult to critically analyse and examine one's own place within the world. Whitehouse created the permanently offended. It's easier to think ill of the BBC when you hear about them doing a teen pregnancy storyline on a show than it would be to sit and watch and understand that it's not glamorising that life but it's actually showing the difficulties in the world that make it so. And in that specific example, it is proven that by educating the youth on sexual matters, it would lead to a decrease in unwanted pregnancies or sexually transmitted infections. So in protesting and demanding the removal of these shows, she would have been actively contributing to the issues she believed she was fighting. Who would have guessed that education is better than ignorance when it comes to bettering society? But expecting people to read beyond the headlines seems like an impossibility. Consistently complaining about things which she has not seen, or if she had seen them, just completely missing the context. Or flat out just being a homophobe or a bigot. Or cretinous. I mean, honestly, she was a moron who was outraged at men with long hair. But I do think her legacy when it comes to TV and film, I don't think there's much of a legacy there any longer. If she saw the jokes on TV now, even the mildest ones would have given her a heart attack. The fact that after her retirement in 1994, she still campaigned and complained about anything and everything up until her death shows how much people listened to her. She had no effect on the medium she spent her life fighting. Other than being a talking head that everyone remembers as just being some busybody dipshit. Honestly, her legacy isn't what happens on TV or in the movies. Her legacy's on Twitter. Whitehouse gave rise to the type of human who thinks their opinion is equal to your fact. 
White House, in fact, has more in common with loudmouth morons like Katie Hopkins, Pierce Morgan or Julia Brewer-Hartley. Gobshites who had little on knowledge but high on the smell of their own shit. Whose defence for being a wretched human is, I just tell it like it is, whilst punching down to people who have the nerve to be less fortunate than themselves. So I think I'll give the final words on this to Melvin Bragg. I think she fell afoul of and exacerbated what I see as a British disease, which is when in doubt about society, blame television. Don't blame poverty, don't blame the disintegration of the family, don't blame all of the other things. Blame television. It's sloppy and completely inadequate thinking. I like how Melvin Bragg is basically saying Mary Whitehouse is Carl Brofluski's mother from South Park. What, what, what? He went on as well to say, I am sure she was sincere. However, she threw quite a bit of heat and very little light. Which might be the most highbrow body slam I have ever read. But then again, it is Melvin Bragg, so what do you expect? So that's this episode of Video Nasty Andy done. There's a really interesting BBC drama come comedy about Mary Whitehouse called Filth the Mary Whitehouse Story. Um, if you can find it, I think it's worth watching. It stars quite a few people who you'll probably know. Hugh Bonneville plays Hugh Green, the former BBC director. Mary Whitehouse was played by Julie Walters. Her husband, Ernest, was Alan Armstrong. So it's a few names you may recommend, uh, may recognise. But it's a good TV movie. Um, if you can find it, check it out. If you're interested and you can't find it, drop us a DM and I'll see if I can source it for you. Um, obviously, DMs to at cagefightingpod on the Twitter or any emails to cagefightingpod at gmail.com uh, so it's your main man signing off again for the Video Nasty Andy podcast next month we'll be looking at our first film off the list and that's going to be Last House on the Left so if you're listening to this as it drops I hope you enjoy the last few days of 2021 if you're listening to this just after I hope the start of the year goes well take care bye bye